listening to the Central Students Podcast. To learn more about Central Students, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students. I'm excited. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of excited to, to talk to you guys tonight. You guys doing good, though? Good, good. That was So three of you are doing good. That's good. Glad to hear it. Cool. All right, so I'm going to open. I don't usually do this. Usually I just kind of dive into it, but I'm going to open with a little bit of an illustration, okay? Um, so I don't know if this is a true story. I'm going to assume it's not a true story, but it just kind of sounds like one of those stories that it's like, okay, like it works good for an illustration, but just kind of roll with me, all right? So on a cruise ship, some stewards and sailors became concerned about a clanging noise from one of the cabins. They forced open the door to this cabin and saw that a man was taking a pickaxe to the side of the boat. The stewards and sailors restrained him and asked him, what are you doing? If you manage to put a hole in the side of the ship, we will take on water and we might sink. The man said, how dare you? I bought this cabin, and what I do with it is my business. What do you care? It's on my side of the ship. So we hear that, and that sounds totally ridiculous, right? Like, that sounds like, what is that guy thinking? Like, he's basically saying, like, imagine you're on a cruise ship, and you hear, like, this. And you're like, okay, what in the world is going on? So you, so you eventually go down, and you find this guy in his room. And I don't know what he looks like, but he's just like, he's got the power stance. Because you can't use a pickaxe without a power stance. You know what I'm saying? So he's like here, and he's just like, and you're like, yo, if you put a hole in the boat, like the whole boat's sinking. And he looks at you, and he goes, I paid for this room. What do you care if I put a hole in my side of the boat, in my room, worry about yourself, what I do doesn't, doesn't bother you? And that sounds totally ridiculous. And while we look at that and we're like, yeah, it's it's funny and it's ridiculous and whatever, I will tell you, that is how most Christians deal with their sin. That's how most Christians deal with their sin. Don't worry about me, right? It's on my side of the boat. You worry about your room. And what do you care if what I'm doing doesn't bother anybody? So tonight, what we're going to do is we're actually going to continue on in the book of Joshua. For those of you who might remember, we were doing that, you know, like, feels like two years ago, Uh, right? We're in the book of Joshua, and we're in Joshua chapter 7. What's going to happen here is that uh, when the people of Israel just got done conquering Jericho, they just got done conquering Jericho, and God gave them a very specific instruction, do not take any of the gold or silver or plunder for yourself. Like, Jericho, excuse me, Jericho was the first place that they came to. And basically, God says, Jer- for Jericho, devote everything to destruction. The gold, the clothes, everything. Burn it, destroy it, do not take any of it. Right? Don't take any of it. And then when you go to the other places, then you know what? You could take some of it for yourself. But do not take anything from Jericho. And just like all sinful people like to do, one person decides that he's going to take something. This man's name was Achan, and perhaps you're familiar with the story, but I'm kind of like giving you the ending of it right now. Basically, he takes this stuff, and he hides it in his tent. 
He, he buries it underground. He hides it in his tent. And what we're going to talk about tonight is not necessarily sin. Nice, right? What we're going to talk about tonight is not necessarily sin. What we're going to talk about tonight is secret sin. And when I say secret sin, all of you probably had something that came to your mind. And that something that came to your mind is probably the thing that is in your life right now. Let's be honest. If I was to put on the screen everyone's secret sin with your name by it, and my name by it. Like, how terrified would you be? If I was to say, hey, guys, in five seconds, I'm going to put up everyone's secret sin. Ready? Five, four, three. And you're like, what? what, what? Right? You know, like, and, and I, I know for me, like, if I was to put, like, you know, the sins that I struggle with, you know, whatever, like, I wouldn't want that put up on the screen either. But here's the thing. What is the difference between secret sin and public sin? I mean, to us, it, there's a world of difference. But what is the difference to God? What we're going to talk about tonight is secret sin. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story in Joshua chapter 7. And we're not going to read the whole story. I'm going to kind of read parts of it because it's a long passage of Scripture, and i got a lot to say. So we're just going to kind of, we're going to, we're going to, kind of, we're going to make it work, all right? First thing I want us to talk about is, first, the characteristics of secret sin. If you read verses 1 through 9, this is what we see. Because right, the people of Israel... It says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the son of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. I'm just going to stop right there. It's, it's interesting, right? Because the first thing I want you to know about secret sin is this, is that secret sin doesn't only affect you. Secret sin doesn't only affect you like you might think it does. Because here's what we see. What does it say here? It says in the very first verse, but the people of Israel broke faith. Interesting. It says that one person did this. What was the guy's name that did this? Aiken, right? Not Clay Aiken. For those, you, you have no idea who that is. I'm sorry. That was a terrible reference. I'll never do it again. Okay? Does, it, does anyone know who Clay Aiken is? Thank you. All right. The rest of you who don't know... That's all right. You're missing out. All right. Clay, all right. So not Clay Aiken, right? A man named Aiken. But notice, one man did this, but what does Scripture say? The people of Israel. I want you to notice this, is that one, only Aiken is mentioned to have taken something from Jericho. And two, Scripture says that Israel broke faith and that God's anger burned against the entire nation. Do you see that? Do you notice how one man's sin has impacted everyone associated with him? And oftentimes we make the mistake of thinking that our sin is ours to deal with and that's it. We feel that, you know, we deal with it and we deal with the consequences of our sin, right? We're like, okay, look, like it's my sin. No one knows about it. It's not bothering anybody. I, whatever, I, I repent of it. I move on. No one's hurt. Right? I'm in my room, I repent, you know, sorry God, you know, I move on, you know, God will forgive me and everything will be fine. And you know what, I'll tell you, it is true that if you are genuinely repentant, God will forgive you. And that is an amazing truth. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to know that God will forgive sins when we are truly repentant. However, just because you are forgiven of your sins and you are made right with God does not mean that your sins do not still carry consequences. 
Now, while you're walking through those consequences, you can do so having peace, knowing that ultimately you are right with God. But we still have to walk through the consequences of our sins. And you need to know that your sin does not only impact you. If you think for a moment that your sin is just a you thing, that is a lie from hell, and you cannot believe it. Your sin will always impact other people. If you don't believe me, ask the family whose father decided to walk out on them if, if one person's sin affects everyone else. Ask the boy or girl whose boyfriend or girlfriend was cheating on them with someone else if someone else's sin affects them. Right? We can, we can continue on. Ask the child with alcoholic parents if someone else's sin affects them. Ask the family that has been shattered because of sexual addiction due to pornography if one person's sin has impacted the rest of them. And every single time, the answer will be yes. And I'm not going to get crude or into, de- into detail here, but there are a few ways that this is more evident than with the sin of pornography. And I'm not going to talk about this a whole lot, but I want you to understand you know, that, that secret sin that no one is impacted by. It's just you by yourself. According to studies, and a study that was published on Psychology Today, young married adults in their 20s that view pornography while married end up getting divorced nearly 50% of the time. Of those couples that do not view porn while married, the divorce rate drops to six. Six. One person's sin. Another study reports the following impact that porn, that porn use has on wives. I just want you to hear what this says. In many cases, the wives of pornography users also develop deep psychological wounds, commonly reporting feelings of betrayal, loss, mistrust, devastation, and anger in response to the discovery or the disclosure of a partner's pornographic online sexual activity. Wives can begin to feel unattractive or sexually inadequate and may be, begin, become severely depressed when they realize that their husbands view porn. The distress level in wives may be so high as to require clinical treatment for trauma, not mere discomfort. Viewers of pornography assign increased importance to sexual relations without emotional involvement, and consequently, wives experience decreased intimacy from their husbands. That sin that no one else knows about. Similar studies, Stephen, Wack, Stephen Stack from Wayne State University and, uh, and colleagues later showed that pornography use increased the marital infidelity rate, which means the, ch- the times that someone in the marriage cheats on the other, has an affair. Porn use increases the infidelity rate more than 300%. And I could go on for hours explaining the impacts that this secret sin has on people later in life. Do not think for a second that it's just a you thing. And statistically, most people struggle with this. So don't think that you're isolated. Don't think that you should feel like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. No, understand that most people deal with this. But the problem is, is that most people also justify it as, well, it's just me and God. If you don't think that it's going to affect you and the people you love in the future, you're fooling yourself. If left unaddressed, it will destroy you and potentially the lives of the people around you. 
Let's take this to another level. Boys, understand that when God blesses you with a wife and kids, they will follow your direction spiritually. The way that God has just designed families, okay, this is the way that God has designed families, and I'll give you some statistics to prove it. This is the way it is, is that the husband will set the spiritual temperature for the rest of the home every single time. Why do you think that Satan has so actively sought to destroy the role of the Christian father today? How many solid Christian mothers can you think of? We could probably think of a ton. How many solid Christian fathers do you see in your everyday life? Very few. Satan has attacked the role of the Christian father because if Satan can destroy the father, he can destroy the entire family. I want you to listen to a study that was conducted in the 1990s, so almost 30 years ago, which breaks my heart to say, in Switzerland, in Switzerland in the 90s. Listen to this. If the father is non-practicing, that being not a Christian, right? so if the father is a non-practicing Christian, so basically not a Christian, and the mother regularly is a practicing Christian, only 2% of children will become regular worshipers. Notice that. If the father is not practicing and the mother is regular, only 2% of children will become regular worshipers. 37% will attend irregularly, and over 60% of their children will be lost completely to the church. Let's look at those figures the other way around. What happens if the father is regularly attending or regularly involved, but the mother is not? Extraordinarily, the percentage of children becoming regularly, regular attenders later in life actually increases from 33% to 38% with the irregular mother and 44% with the non-practicing mother. What this says, notice, if the father is not practicing but the mother is, 2% of those children grow up committed to Christ in the church. But if the father is committed and the mom is not, 44% do. Do you hear that? So what does that mean? Boys, think of the impact that your spiritual decisions will have on your future kids. And girls, when you consider dating someone and potentially marrying them, understand that the faith of this person that you like could greatly can greatly impact whether your child goes to heaven or hell. Are you okay leaving the spirituality of your children in the hands of the person that you like? This is the way it is. This isn't somebody who's out public. This is, this is what, think of the potential of one secret sin has on multiple people. You have to know that there is no sin in your life that stays with just you. None. And Israel is learning this lesson the hard way. You know, an obedient church is made up of obedient church members. You want to have a good student ministry? You have good students. A good student ministry doesn't come from a good student pastor. A good student ministry comes from good students. Israel is now at odds with God because of the decisions of one person. So one, characteristic of secret sin. We see that it doesn't just affect you. And two, secret sin will impact your experience with God. If you continue on, what you see is that the people of Israel now are going to go into battle. They're going to fight a city called Ai, which is a little podunk city. Like, you know, it would be like if we were going to go, like, you know, 
battle the, the, the people from Geneva, right? Like, just kind of like backwoods, you know, whatever, right? Like, it was just like, it was, it was a small city that, like, people, they just wiped out Jericho. They can take care of AI. Well, what happens is they go and attack AI, and they get boot stomped. They lose. Think about it. They lose. 36 of their people die. And they retreat back. And naturally, the people of Israel, because what happens is now God's anger is burning against Israel. Guess how much success they have? Zero. Naturally, they lose. They're defeated. And they're forced to retreat. They were defeated. And, th- and, and if you, as you read, you'll see Josh openly mourns and he cries out to God. I want you to hear what Joshua says. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? With that, we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh, oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and will cut off your, our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? He is freaking out. He's like, God, where are you? Where are you, God? You said you were going to be here. You said you were going to give us success. You said, you said, you said, and he is lost. And I'll tell you that chances are you have felt like this with God. And if you haven't, chances are you might at some point feel like, God, where are you? God, like you feel disconnected. Look at what God says in response, verse 10. Then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord of God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from you. Now here's the question. Did God forsake his earlier promise? Because if you remember in Joshua 1.9, what does God say? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He says earlier, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. But what do we see here? God says, I will not be with you. So what happened? What happened? Is, is God backing out of his earlier promise? And you need to remember the conditions of the promise he gave them. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. Let's read verses 7 and 8. He says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall not, sorry, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. Remember, God's promise is tied to obedience. But remember this. This is very important. God's promise to you is tied to the obedience of Jesus. 
God's promise to you is not based off of your obedience. I just want you to know that. God is not faithful to you because you do all the right things. If that was the case, we would all be out of luck, right? God is faithful to you because Jesus did all the right things on your behalf. But here's what you need to know. You need to know this. Jesus was obedient for you, so Jesus will never leave you because you have sinned. If, you, if you've sinned, Jesus, God is not going to leave you. It's not like you're going to sin and God's like, all right, you're not saved anymore, I'm out. But I will tell you this, that your momentary experience, the, your experience and your closeness with God will absolutely be impacted when you harbor sin in your life. You may not no longer be saved. You may not, like God's maybe has not, God hasn't ditched you or left you, but I'll tell you, your experience with him will not be the same. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for your discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, God is not playing games with you. But I will tell you, if you are keeping secret sin in your life and you're allowing it to continue and continue and continue, God will allow you to experience distance in order to wake you up. To wake you up. What does God say to Joshua? Joshua's mourning and God says, like, like get up. Get up. He said, Israel has sinned. Get up. If you are saved, you will always be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We see this Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. But God will discipline you. And the whole reason God is letting you experience that distance is because of the result of your sin, and it's ultimately because God is leading you to repentance. I would be willing to bet that very frequently, not all the time, but very frequently, when you are experiencing distance from God, there is sin in your life that you are not addressing. Perhaps it's obvious sins like lust or drunkenness or whatever, or perhaps it is a sin that is easier to justify, like neglecting him or choosing other things rather than him. And I have found that the more you genuinely pursue Christ, the more you will experience him. I don't mean to sound rude, but it's really not that complicated. God is not playing games with you. If you genuinely seek him, forsaking other things that are lesser, he will not run from you. If anything, he's the one who runs to you. If you feel distant, maybe the first thing you need to do is repent. Maybe. Third characteristic of secret sin. Secret sin will not remain a secret. Verse 14, I'm not going to read this, 
But basically what God, what God tells Joshua is, hey, you got sin in the camp. We got to deal with it. We got to deal with it. He's like, get it, line Israel up. He's like, someone has done this. Line Israel up, and I will tell you who's done it. So this is what Joshua does if you read the story. He lines, he gets the whole nation of Israel before him, and they separate themselves into the tribes, right? There's 12 tribes. And then God tells him which tribe it is. So he goes to this tribe, tribe of Judah in this case. And then the tribe of Judah divides into clans. Then he tells them which clan it is. Then the clan divides into families. And then God tells Joshua which family it is. And then he takes the family in one by one and ultimately Achan. Now, if you're Achan, at first you're probably like, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way he gets this. Then he's like, tribe of Judah. And you're like, okay, lucky guess. There's only 12 of us. You know, he had a chance of getting it right. Tribe, tribe of Judah, you know, feels like probably a lot of people. Like, right, gets your clan. You're like, all right, whatever, you know. Then he picks your family. And then at this point, you're like, yo. Right? Like, okay, what's up here? And then ultimately, he's called out for his sin. He's called out for his sin. It was revealed to have been a man named Achan. And I won't spend too much time on this, but please know this. If you persist in secret sin, it will not be secret for very long. You may think it is secret, but it will not be secret for very long. For those of you who have been in the student ministry for, for several years, I don't have to go very far to give you an example. Luke chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And some of you are probably like freaking out now. You're like, I don't want people to know about my secret sin. Like, I am terrified. Like, wh- like what? Or like, is everybody going to find out? Like, is God going to like put me on blast? Like, what do I do with this? Like, I-, I don't want everyone to know about my stuff. Like, what do I do? And I'll tell you this. This is what you need to do. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Please hear me when I say this. There's nothing wrong with telling your Christian friends that you are struggling with something. There's nothing wrong with telling your Christian friends that you are struggling with something. Even I have people that I will confess my sins to. My wife is the first one, wherever she is. I hear her voice. There she is, right? Like my wife is the first person. If I'm struggling with something, the first person who's going to know about it other than God, is her. I'm going to tell her. I have stories that I could tell you of where, even when we were dating, where I unloaded my heart to her of the shame and guilt of sins that I had in the past. Don't allow Satan to hold you in bondage of trying to hide your sins. Don't give him that ammunition. Don't allow Satan to say, you don't want people to know about that. If they know about that, they'll reject you. If they know about that, they'll, they won't want to talk to you. If they know about that, you're going to be hated. You're going to be despised. You're going to be judged. Don't allow Satan to do that to you. God has designed the church. 
He has designed Christians to where you can confess your sins to one another. I'll confess my sins to you. You confess your sins to me. We pray for each other. We walk through it with each other, and we get on the other side of it. That's what being a Christian is. Not pretending that you don't sin. Ha! Ha! You are hilarious. If you're going to act like you don't sin, that's a joke. It's a joke. I've learned this. The best way to live life is to be honest and to deal with the consequences. That is the best way to live life. Be honest and live with the consequences. Especially if you know that your heavenly father forgives you when you genuinely repent. Why would you hang on to that? Let it go. Share with people. I'm struggling with this or I have struggled with this. If if you're right in the eyes of God, who cares if you're right in the eyes of other people? Some people come to me, students come to me all the time. And they're super hesitant to share with me what they're struggling with. A lot of times they're like, oh, uh, uh," and they'll say something. And I'm thinking to myself, do you have any idea the things that I've heard? Do you have any idea the things that I've heard? You're not going to shock me. And I'm not going to judge you. But even more than me, God is never going to reject you when you are honest with your sins. He already knows. And I'll tell you this. You would much rather confess your sin than have God reveal it. You would much rather confess your sins than have God reveal it. God's promise in revealing sin is never to cause shame. I want you to know that. God's never out here trying to be like, all right, you've had time. You know what, time's up. I'm about to put you on blast, son. God's not up there being like, I'm about to end this whole man's career right now, right? That's not what God's doing. God's purpose in revealing your sin is ultimately, yeah, to break you, but to break you, to bring you back to him. It's meant to lead you to repentance because holding on to secret sin is not the way to go. I'll tell you, I've had sin, I've had God reveal sin in my life. I was hiding it. I was holding on to it. I was, I was shoving it in the corner, thinking it was just me. And when God revealed it to other people without me wanting it to be revealed, it hurts. But, it was a, but I will tell you this. It's a weight lifted off. It's a weight lifted off. You would much rather God reveal it than for you to hang on to it. Do not be hindered by shame. Give your shame to Jesus. And let your brothers and sisters walk with you. So we see the characteristics of secret sin. I'm wrapping it up, so don't lose. Let not your heart be troubled. When I say wrapping it up, like, you guys know what that means. That's like another hour and a half. I'm just kidding. We see the characteristics of secret sin, but secondly, we see the progression of secret sin. Because we just got done talking about how dangerous secret sin can be. And you're like, great, Mike, now I feel wonderful about myself. But now it's like, all right, how can we overcome it? Right? Like, it's dangerous. I get it. Now, what do I do to get past it? I spent plenty of time talking to you about how dangerous it is, but now 
with the time that I have left, I want to try and help you overcome the secret sins in your life. Now, I'm not going to do it. Obviously, the Holy Spirit will. But I'm going to give you some things that I think this passage gives us great insight in. So what happened with Achan? I'm sure you're just shaking in your chairs to find out what happened. Verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua. He said, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. I want you to listen to what he did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. There's a few things I want you to notice here about Achan's confession. Did you notice the progression? Notice the progression. When I saw, then I coveted it, then I took it, and then what did he do? Then I hid it. Behold, the progression of every sin that you will ever commit is right there. It's right there. Every sin in a person's life follows this progression. First you see it, then you want it, then you take it, and then you hide it. Every time. Or you take, or you could, with hide, you could either say, you could switch out hide with shame. You see it, you want it, you take it, and you're ashamed of it. You see it, you want it, you take it, and you hide it. Don't believe me? Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. What better way to talk about sin than to go to the very first one? Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife did what? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve, what did they do? She saw that it was good. She desired it. She took it. And when God showed up, what did she do? She hid. She hid. So that's the progression of every sin. Think about it. Think about sin in your life. How does it always go? You see it, you want it, you take it, you hide it. So how do we stop it? How do we get rid of this secret sin? How do we expel it from our life? Ultimately, it's through the Holy Spirit. But let's look at this plainly. Be careful what you see. Matthew 6, 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? For those of you who were with us last week during Real Talk, especially those of you who were guys that were with us during Real Talk, we talked about this. Just because you can justify something as not being sinful does not mean that it is helpful. Apply this to whatever context you want. If you listen to profane music, don't be surprised when you speak profanely. Don't be shocked. If you follow swimsuit models on Instagram, don't be surprised when you struggle with lust. 
Don't be shocked. This isn't rocket science. Notice, everything that you sinfully desire are things that you surround yourself with. You and I are our own worst enemies. Be careful what you see. Secondly, be aware of your desires because, of course, we can't hide ourselves in a Christian cocoon all, excuse me, all of our lives. I can't be like this all day. Right? I can't. You're going to see things, and it's just happening. I'm not referring, I'm not referring, I'm not encouraging you to watch this movie. Don't watch this movie. Have you ever seen like previews or whatever of that movie Bird Box that came out a few years ago? It's a terrible movie. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cheesy as I'll get out. But, right? but basically the whole thought is like if you see this monster, then you basically like you kill yourself, right? Like you can't help it, you die. And what you have these crazy people that are wanting everybody to look at it. And what they're doing is they're like grabbing their eyes to like peel them open to look at it. And you know what? Sometimes... Look, sometimes no matter how hard you try, you're not going to, it's just boom, and you're going to see something that you don't want to see. It happens. You can't live your life in a Christian cocoon. Here's what you need to do. You need to be aware of what your sinful flesh really wants. If you can't control what you see, you need to know and be aware of what your sinful flesh wants. Remember, ultimately sin and temptation arise within you. You don't sin strictly because of outside influence. Your outside influence oftentimes just provides the opportunity that your flesh already wants. I'll say that again. You don't necessarily just sin because of what you surround yourself with. What you surround yourself with oftentimes just gives you the permission to do what your flesh already wants to do. So what do you need to do? James 1, 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Notice that James here says that you are tempted when you are lured away by what? By your own desires. You're not tempted by the desires that other people force on you. You're tempted by it because, if, let's just be real, you want it. Don't act super holy on me. I do it. I don't know why. I don't want to do it. If you didn't want to do it, you wouldn't do it. If you didn't want to do it, you wouldn't be tempted to do it. Be honest. I'll be real with you. When I sin, it's because I want to. Now, I fight it. Because I have the Holy Spirit within me that doesn't want to do it. My sinful flesh that you better believe wants to do it. And when I fail, it's because something within me wants it. So I take it and then I hide it. You see, what you and I need is not just to change our surroundings. What you and I need is to be changed inwardly. You don't need new actions. You need new desires. That's what you need. And I have good news for you. This is what Jesus does when he saves you. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is Old Testament. This is God talking about what he will do in the future. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I'll tell you this. Part of being a Christian is throughout the course of your life, surrendering my desires and taking on his. 
part of being a Christian throughout your entire life is simply surrendering your desires and taking on his. And I'll tell you, when you surrender your desires and you take on his, first of all, his are far better. They bring a joy that your desires don't bring. And they bring a peace that your desires wish they could. His desires don't ruin lives. Yours and mine do. So be careful what you see, be aware of your desires, and then resist the desire. What do you do once the desire has taken root, right? Because obviously, like, okay, yeah, exchanging my desires for his over time, that happens. Well, what do I do right now? You resist. Remember that because of the Holy Spirit within you, God has not only freed you from the punishment of sin, but he has also given you the freedom to overcome it. You are not a slave to sin. And when we talk about that, we talk about I'm not a slave of, you know, I'm not destined for hell, which is true. Like, I'm not a slave to shame. But here's another thing. Because you are saved, because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, you have the power within you through the Holy Spirit to say no to temptation. You do not have to do it. You don't. You do not have to do it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has, overcome, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Because here's the thing. You know what? You and I, like, there's every, every temptation in my life is something that I can't bear. But there is not a single temptation that the Holy Spirit within me cannot overcome. So you know what? If you rely on yourself, yeah, you're going to fail. Rely on the Holy Spirit within you, and you have the power within you through the Holy Spirit to not fall into that. Think of the fruit of the Spirit that no one talks about. We all know love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We're like, yeah, that's awesome, fruit of the Spirit. But how come we never talk about the fruit of the Spirit of self-control? How come we never talk about that? Part of the byproduct of being a Christian is that you have the ability to have self-control. You are not a slave to your desires. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we talked about how do you, careful what you see, know your desires, right? You see it, you want it, you take it, don't take it. But here's the thing, what do you do when you do? Because we're all going to experience this. We're not going to have groups tonight because I go long because that's just what I do. <laughs> right? Like, what do you do? Like, because here's the thing. We're all going to fail. Do not think for a moment that you are never going to struggle with sin. You will struggle with sin until you die, leave this sinful flesh behind, and you see God face to face. And think about that. Think of the part of heaven that no one talks about. Being in heaven and never being tempted again. That's a beautiful thought. It's a beautiful thought. But what do you do when you, when you fall short? Own your mistake and repent. Do not hide it. We've already hit this, but the point remains. Do not hide your sins. It only damages you and it damages others. When you sin, confess it. Repent on it and rely on Jesus.
and move on. Move on. So we talk about the characteristics of secret sin, we talk about the progression of secret sin, and then we look at the result of secret sin. What happens to Achan? Well, I wish I could tell you it's all bubble gums and rainbows, but it's not. Verse 25, Joshua said, why did, you do, why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. That's a terrible, that's, that's a scary saying. And all of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and they stoned them with stones. So I'm guessing they're like, stones, fire, stone again. Like, I don't know. But ultimately, secret sin leads to judgment and wrath. Interesting that secret sin leads to the same thing as public sin. And you're like, wow, that's not very encouraging. But I'll tell you this. I want you to remember this. Jesus publicly suffered for what you have done in secret. Jesus hung on the cross in public for what you have done when no one looks. You do not need to fear. You do not need to be ashamed. Remember that Jesus took the punishment that you deserve so that you can have, you can live in the promise that he deserves. Being a Christian does not mean that you don't struggle. It doesn't mean that you will never fail and you will never fall. It means that when you do, you have a public profession from Jesus that your sins are not counted against you. You can see the nail-pierced hands of Jesus and know that your sins were dealt with 2,000 years ago. I have nothing to hide about my sins that I have committed in my life. And you want to know why? Because I know that my sins were crucified with Christ. You can ask me about my struggles. You can ask me about my sins, and I'll tell you everything you want to know about them. Why? Because I have nothing to hide, and I have no shame. Why? Because I know that my sins are not counted against me. I have a heavenly father that is more powerful than anything I could ever do. I can publicly point to the goodness of Jesus because of what he did with my secret shame and my secret guilt. And if you're in this room and you're struggling with secret sin, I'm sure there's, most of you are. Know this, there is hope in Jesus. You are not a slave to that sin. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I will tell you there is no freedom like giving your life to Christ. We're going to wrap it up here. Usually we would go to groups. I'll tell you this, for those of you who want to go to Chick-fil-A, I encourage you. Don't let the conversation end here. Don't walk out these doors and be like, well, that was fun. Let's go have some fried chicken, right? We're going to go to Chick-fil-A. We, go, we like, for those of you, we like to go to Chick-fil-A, circle up in the Teen Challenge parking lot, you know, hang out. Here's the thing. Those conversations can continue there. One of the, my favorite night that we've ever had was I went, we went to, to Chick-fil-A, and I sat in a circle with like 12 of you, and we stayed there, felt like, till like 1030, and we just talked. That's what the church is supposed to be, right? Do not leave. Maybe that what you're feeling right now, don't let it stay here. Take it with you. Does that make sense? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight. God, thank you that while I may talk for a long time and I may stutter and hiccup and everything, God, I know that, Father, that you can do what I cannot do. Father, I may speak to people's ears all day, but you speak to hearts. Father, that you can do what I cannot do. 
God, I may be able to change my outside surroundings. I may be able to change what I look at or, or try these different things, but, Father, only you can change me inwardly, which is what I truly need. God, if there's anyone in here that does not have a saving relationship with you through Jesus Christ, I ask, Father, that they do not leave this place without one. God, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know that they know that they know that their sins were taken care of on the cross, Father, I ask that they would stay and they would talk to somebody, an adult. Father, I ask that your, your Holy Spirit would do what I cannot do, save people. Father, help us with our secret sins, that we would give them to you. And when we fall short, that we would not hide it, that we would confess it to you and confess it to someone in our life. God, I thank you and I praise you for your grace, for your forgiveness, and for everything that you do. God, I ask that as we leave this place, you bless the food that we're going to eat and everything that we do for the rest of this night and for the rest of our lives be to your honor and glory. In the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to the Central Students Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students.